sports fans. This is the Wisconsin Way podcast, the only Badgers basketball podcast that knows what truly happens on the front lawn of the Kohl Center. I'm Scott, your recovering Badger maniac. I'm joined by Sham in Chicago. Uh, if you want to check us out on Twitter, we are at the Wisconsin Way. Um, if you want to email us any ideas of how to sneak the this Badgers team in the NIT so we can watch a couple more games, email us at uh, the Wisconsin Way at gmail.com. Thanks, guys, for for bearing with us here for the the last two weeks. We haven't uh, had a chance to record an episode because life has gotten in the way. And I don't know about you, Sean, but I'm kind of ready to quit my job and just become a full time podcaster here because uh, we should really try to figure out a way to monetize this because, you know, working to put food on the table gets really annoying when you just want to record podcasts every day. (laughs) I think uh, the first time SeatGeek reaches out to us with with an advertising opportunity, I'm, I'm ready to call it quits at at my real job i'm i'm you. i'm all <laughs> we we really should monetize this man we need to, <laughs> to get some merch going like i don't know i'm sure we could convince our moms to buy something if we can go one for one on our, our customer base actually purchasing our products <laughs> i feel like we could probably talk somebody into monetizing this for us so uh, apologies in advance for the copious amounts of uh, commercials we'll have on future podcasts <laughs> hopefully <laughs> It's just so we can quit our jobs. It's for a good cause. <laughs> it's, it's really the only reason I do this, man. It's the only uh, I'm I'm investing a lot into this time I spend with you. It's pretty much the only reason we hang out, besides the fact that we're the probably only two people who enjoy this fringe level of uh, a Badgers basketball discussion. <laughs> That's fine. With me. So, so we're gonna set this episode up a little bit differently than we've done past ones. Um, we've got four games that have happened since the the last time we did a podcast. Um, we will, Sean will do a quick wrap up of the last two regular season games versus Northwestern and Michigan state. And then we're going to kind of jump right into some, uh, chatter about the big 10 tournament games against Maryland and Michigan state here. Cause there's a lot to talk about there. We also are planning on doing a couple future episodes here. Um, we're going to kind of take a week or two to digest this season and and mourn this this uh, suddenly awesome Badgers basketball team that you know we had a lot of fun watching here the last couple weeks, um, and we'll do a season wrap up episode, and maybe a, a season preview episode and some like recruiting updates going forward. We're also going to do some stuff uh, around the spring game once spring uh, practice starts up here for the football football team, and we'll we'll talk uh, talk a little Badgers football here too. So be on the lookout for for two basketball guys trying to to do some, a deep dive into analytics of football, which is not exactly our, our strong suit because we're definitely basketball guys. But, uh, you know, we, we like football too. And we, we have uh, adjectives that we can use to describe football players beyond bursty and their, their listed heights and weights. So we're pretty excited to, to take on football as well. Well, apparently um, that's, just, that's just the current prerequisite for being a popular Badger <laughs> podcast. If if nothing else, we can maybe bring a few more adjectives and uh, we can maybe dig into the UWBadgers.com roster slightly beyond height and weight and, and maybe bring a few more things to the table. Maybe we'll look at uh, their stats when they were played in high school. Maybe we'll uh, we'll check out, you know, how many siblings they have and we can make some, you know, Freudian comments on whether or not they're the oldest or youngest child in their family. I'm sure there's some other things we can bring to the table, so... Uh, do you want to, Sham, um, just give us a quick recap of the the final scores and the box scores for uh, Northwestern and Michigan State here? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks. Um, we <laughs> So, yeah, we, I'll keep this quick because I think we have a lot to talk about. Uh, what was it, a week and a half ago, the Badgers went down to not Evanston, but Rosemont, Illinois, and played Northwestern at Allstate Arena. And 
we ended up winning. The game actually was kind of interesting to me. It seemed it started out with a very similar kind of tone as the the Minnesota game in the sense that offensively we really picked apart uh, their matchup zone and were able to get a lot of open looks. Whereas Minnesota, they were doubling our post touches every time and we were able to get open offensive looks. So you know this this game you know is is commonly referred to as the Andy Van Vliet game as you know he <laughs> nice. yeah he, he he had a nice game he came in he did what we, what we knew he could do um northwestern's front line uh, apparently wasn't too physical to the point where greg guard thought he was good enough to play um and it was interesting to me because in minnesota against in, against minnesota we saw what happened and i talked about how i thought that you know eight times out of ten we we win that game pretty easily if we just knock down our open shots and we started out the game, and I think Aleem missed one or two threes, and he missed a couple defensive assignments when he was off the ball. I think he got lost once, and another time mm-hmm. he was late on help, and Greg immediately pulled him out and brought in Andy, and I think he realized he didn't want the same the game to kind of go the way the Minnesota game went um, in the sense that we just kept missing open shots over and over, and, and he didn't want to uh, bring that one down to the wire the same way we did against Minnesota when we were still clearly the superior team. So Andy came in, did his job. Unfortunately, we didn't put the game away, but I think we played pretty well. Uh, this was actually in the last month, at least since the Purdue game, uh, the Northwestern game was our, our relatively worst defensive performance. Uh, since that Purdue game, we've held every team below their average offensive rating, but Northwestern was pretty much right at it. Uh, so that, I think, caused a little deficiencies for us. But, you know, we ended up, Pulling it off, Brevin hit that big three right at the end of the game, um, and, and we took care of business down in, in Rosemont. Uh, and Andy then... did a couple things that game that are things that I don't know if we have anybody else on our roster that can do. Um, he had one in particular. There was a, a dribble drive on the left side of the court in the second half where Andy had to come off his man and helped all the way down to the box, and he came and... and took away the the dribble penetration and helped and forced a kick out to the corner for a three, which he, in in one little side shuffle step, closed to and almost blocked. And they ended up missing the three and we got a rebound. But I don't know if we have another guy on our roster who is long enough to be able to take one step and close out from five feet to 21 feet like that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it's cool to see a guy who has those physical tools kind of start to put it together a little bit and uh, be able to contribute. I was That was pretty exciting. It was pretty awesome to see. Yeah, he's got a lot of um, kind of sneaky physical tools. Uh, he's He's got just a, a real fluidity to him that you don't see with guys that size. I remember back to when he first committed to Wisconsin. I watched some of his film from Belgium, and I was I was shocked at just how fluid he moved on the floor. And even his jumper was just so well-connected. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, lower body and upper body. And, you know, that was, uh, it was, it was nice to see that he's, he's got that capability. So it's clean. Every time he shoots, it looks like it's going in. He's just got a really clean release. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't stretch himself laterally a lot with his feet. So his feet are always like very well set under him. So he always gives his jumper a chance. Very rarely do you see him drifting a lot off his center of gravity. Um, he's, he's got some stuff, man, that's, that you can't teach. Oh, exactly. And shot making ability too. Um, you know, he's definitely got some tools offensively and if he can figure it out 
on the defensive end, and and if he can build on some of those uh, spot minutes he gets, you know, who knows what could happen. But he had a great quote post game after the Northwestern game. I don't remember who it was who asked him in the post game, but somebody asked him something to the extent of, "When you hit that, you know, second or third three, what was you know you haven't had this much success in a game? What was your your first thought?" And his immediate response was, "I better run back and play D, otherwise they're going to take me out." <laughs> Good. And I was like, yeah, and it's it's cool that he has that, you know, that self-awareness that he realizes his ticket to be on the court is not hitting shots. Like everybody knows he's capable of doing that, but his ticket to playing time is busting his ass on D. And if he wants those opportunities to contribute, like it's it it has to be on the defensive end for him. That's where he's got to be locked in. So that's pretty cool. Oh, exactly. So I'm I'm glad that's his mindset too. Um, yeah, and it, it kind of it's it's actually kind of symbolic. I, I didn't hear that quote, but it's kind of symbolic to how I think the whole team has evolved over the last couple months. It they just didn't give up on the defensive end, and you know it turns out they ended up figuring it out to an extent that you know they were able to compete with teams like Michigan State. Um, so and obviously beating Purdue, so it's it's a good thing, and I think that's kind of a testament to how Gardo's kind of handled the season and the team's been approaching. Uh, the year that they just haven't given up, they haven't let go of the rope, and they're sorry, Tom Thibodeau reference. Uh, but they're uh, <laughs> they never gave up on on the defensive end, and they still have that mindset, even though the season was more or less lost. So that's a good thing. Want to move on to the Michigan State game, the regular season finale? Yeah, we'll briefly talk about this. Um, you know, Badgers, we put up a good fight. Brad Davison obviously had the game of the season for him. Defensively, I thought the one thing that we really struggled was that Michigan State really tested us off the ball because they were they were running some actions up top and then also simultaneously trying to get guys off the ball running little actions, whether those be curls or, or back screens or something. But we, we just aren't able to apply a lot of ball pressure, especially with, with Brad guarding uh, Cassius Winston. And he was kind of able to get into his spots and set, set everyone else up. And Winston obviously shot what five for five or six for six from threes. So six he did, for six, I think. Yeah, yeah, he did his part, knocking down his threes. But overall, we just it, it was a different test because I think Purdue runs a little bit different of a system where it's it's more of a more of an isolation based system, and they they run guys around um, you know, staggered screens and curls and everything like that. But it's more uh, it's more it's more sequential, and I think Michigan State runs a lot of things at the same time and. It rely it requires a lot of ball pressure to uh, to keep them from getting into their stuff. So, um, and of course they rebounded. I think forty three percent of their misses. So that's yeah, that was gonna, the that's one all, of the that's biggest things. Going to do it. Um, yeah. So it was encouraging that we played that played them that close, and and obviously the guys want another shot at them, and they got it. So anyway, then we then we ended up playing Maryland, and then we ended up playing Maryland. So you want to dive right in the Maryland game? Yeah. Um, All right. So I had a very weird flurry of notes I was taking during the game. I don't think I ever ended up forming a really cohesive thought. Um, but the one thing that really stuck with me is that Maryland just was doing same, the same kind of actions over and over again on offense. And in the first half, they were doing a lot of ball screens to get the ball in the middle, make our bigs kind of help and recover and make those decisions in space and and we were we were struggled with it for a time and 
you know, we kind of actually changed the way we were defending some of our ball screens, and we were talking about this right before we hit record, um, and we started hedging a little bit on some of those ball screens just to give us a little more leverage because we were struggling to to get a lot of the guys, our big guys, to, to keep them um, contained in space like that, and I think Nate Reavers actually played probably his best defensive game of the season where he was a really good help side guy, and I think he had two or three blocks. Um, so that was, that was something that stuck with me. I think that was a, that was a big difference. Obviously, in the second half, they went to a lot of uh, kind of like baseline pin downs, so little curls around the elbow mm-hmm. for, for Herter, who's a really nice player. Um, and they tried to shove those down her throat. And we did a pretty good job, I think, minimizing the impact. I think he probably still averaged a a really healthy uh, points per possession on those types of plays, but it could have been much worse. And I think eventually um, we kind of figured it out a little bit. And that last play we actually switched um, Khalil over onto him and he, he did a pretty good job. So what do you got? We didn't have a, yeah, we don't have a great match for Herder. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly who you'd ideally use on him. Maybe Aleem. What is Herder? Herder's about six, six. He's a, a little bit longer guard. He has a pretty good handle. He's got some mid-range game, and he can finish around the rim. That's a really tough match for Brevin. I don't know if that's a – and I think Brevin was on him most of the game. Um, Aleem got some opportunities on him. Brad had some opportunities on him. Um, we didn't go big necessarily. I don't know if I saw Aleem on him much. But that's that's a tough matchup to give up a couple inches to a guy like that. That's not a, a matchup I, I could necessarily see Brevin being really successful well, and consistently. Backcourt, that backcourt's tough to guard because I think Brad struggled <clears> on <throat> Cowan early. Yeah. And we switched Khalil, and then we had Brad or Brevin on Herter most of the second half. And, you know, Brevin's a little limited defensively, especially on a guy like Herter. Brad just doesn't have the size, and, and Herter really executed uh, – well on offense and I think he did a really good job using his screens he mixed it up a lot there were there were several times where he kind of flared out for a for an open three and then he or uh there were other times where he kind of ran a really nice tight curl around the screen and put a lot of pressure on us and he he attacks you know very uh very effectively and it was it was a it was good I've I've wanted Herder to be a Badger for a long time (laughs) because I think he's a really really nice player and Honestly, if I think if he were in, in this system and not under um, whatever Mark Turgeon is trying to run uh, at Maryland, I think he would actually turn into a really nice Big Ten, all Big Ten first team caliber guy with us. But anyway, I, I have a little man crush of Kevin Herter, but <laughs> I, I was uh, I was kind of feeling it there. It was uh, it was coming through hot in the Skype. <laughs> I um. I got some gripes with Marilyn. All right, I'm I'm just gonna I'm not even gonna like mince my words. Turgeon cool. fucking pisses me off. I can't stand Turgeon. He sucks. <laughs> no, I hate him. God, well, he's, he's just, just a, he's a total fraud too. Like <laughs> people don't realize this is his seventh season in Maryland. Like he's not building anything. Like this is it. This is what he's built. And his best year was Diamond Stone and Suleiman and what was that guy's name? Robert Carter Mello. and Mellow Trimble. Like that was a yeah. stacked team. And what did they lose to Kansas in the Sweet Sixteen that year? Yeah, but that was that was a, that was probably as good as it's going to get under him. And and he had to pay some of those guys to yeah, even exactly. get him to go there. Oh, exactly. <laughs> so how is he going to do in the future when he can't pay off his recruits? Right. <laughs> exactly. All right, I got a couple gripes 
like besides just general genuinely like thinking he has a really punchable face and like wanting to shave his head because I can't stand looking at him. Um, besides that, I have a couple legitimate basketball gripes with him. Um, and in the first half, and they did this in the second half too, but they did mix it up a little bit. They would run the same action um, where they would. It, it was pretty much a wheel. It was a wheel action. It's the the first offense I learned in third and fourth grade when I first started playing organized basketball. It's a wheel where basically you pass to a wing and you run everybody off of a screen. You cut all the way around and you reverse it back. But they would run the action on the left side just to get Cowan and Herder to their right hands. And we let them do it over and over in the first half. And starting around the seven, eight, nine minute left mark in the first half, um, we actually started to come out and uh, jump some of those screens with the bigs or switch. And we actually, when they would run those little pocket ball screens on the left side, um, we actually did a couple hard hedges. And there was one where Ethan came out really aggressively um, and pushed, I think, Cowan out to about 24, 25 feet and then recovered, which is not a look that we do a lot, running a hard hedge off a ball screen. But it looked like it was something that Gardo called in from the sideline which is not something we're used to seeing as Wisconsin Badgers basketball fans. Exactly. Well, and Ethan's one of the few bigs I think we've had over the years who's got good enough feet to do that, to kind of hedge and recover. And then off the top of my head, the only other guy that comes to mind that has the feet, maybe I'm drawing a blank, but Jared Bergeron had, you know, he had pretty good feet yeah. and he was able to do that, but I don't think Bo really hedged him much. But no. Ethan's Ethan's got the ability where he's got really good feet and he moves really well side to side. That it's and and I was I was thinking this even thinking back to the to the Michigan game and Ethan moves you know side to side as well as any five man in college basketball and mm-hmm. but when he's put on a guy like Mo Wagner like Wagner makes him look like he's running in cement at times because Wagner can move for a big guy too so yep. anyway it, it makes yeah. it, it was good to see that we were able to to execute some of those hedges effectively. For sure. Um, And we can kind of run a little history lesson back with this, too, because I don't know if that's something that Bo would do. Um, Bo, especially the last six or seven years of his coaching career, um, was about as anti-hard hedging as a, a coach could ever be. Bo, especially on ball screens, would soft hedge, and he would give up that. 17 18 foot jumper um and if you're gonna make it he would just dare you to make it over and over again we've seen that um just you know be executed to death against bow teams uh most famously by tyus jones in the national championship game but i think uh, i remember brie perrine for green bay lighting us up for like 25 up in <laughs> green bay um in maybe 2011 and literally taking that jumper over and over and over again, getting get a little bit of a feel, coming to like his right hand at the top of the key, and just taking that contested jumper at 18 feet and 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 killing us on it. So to see Gardo call some things in from the sideline, um, Brad was out at that point, so Gardo was calling it to Khalil. And he was communicating it to Ethan. And they uh, had a couple different uh, times where they looked to the sideline and they were calling different looks on those ball screens. And to see us be able to, you know, adjust in game and give a team a different look that at least makes them think about it um, is kind of cool and different for a Wisconsin team. It's not something we're used to. No. Well, it, it's, uh, it's interesting because the whole concept behind like a soft show, um, it's really just to force 
force those long twos. But if you if guys are getting into a rhythm, or if this soft show isn't enough to to deter the penetration, and you got to switch it up. And I think that was something that always kind of made me pull my hair out sometimes under Bo mm-hmm. is that we would never go away from that. That was a, that was a ball screen defense, uh, and it's it's nice to to throw a little variability in there. Uh, yep. So hopefully Hap's here for another year and we can we can do that again because I think having that ability gives uh gives uh the other other team kind of gives them some fits. Little history lesson. Uh Dick Bennett um was a, a hard hedge guy. Um and he was a pack line guy, but he would, if they were setting a ball screen at 18, 19, 20 feet, he would have his bigs grab the screen, whoever's setting the screen, grab that jersey and then extend one step off and extend their their left or right foot one step and extend their arm out to try and push the ball handler back at the screen or give the defender, the on-ball defender, another second to to square up and recover. Um, Bo's first couple years, when he had guys that were playing the four and the five spot, um, like Mike Wilkinson, like Orlando Tucker, um, we had some guys who could move on the perimeter and do that. Bo's first couple years, he hard hedged a lot too. And we did, especially with Mike. Mike would come out and show and try to push that ball handler back. Starting in about 2006, 2007, when our bigs were Butch and Greg Steamsma, um, who else did we have around that time? Who else was backing those guys up? Marcus Landry, Joe Krabinoft. We Bo became a lot more risk adverse, especially because Butch would get picked on. Uh, if if he came out and tried to show on a hard hedge, it was almost an automatic foul for the guard because Butch couldn't move. And so Bo became really risk adverse about that time, and he would start using the soft hedge because we had so much length on the perimeter. We could basically soft hedge or switch off that uh, that ball screen, um, and we had guys who could just play pack line at 18, 19 feet and had the length to defend all of those jumpers. So from that point on, starting in about 2006, 2007, uh, Bo didn't do any hard hedging and he basically never did through the rest of his career. So this is kind of the first time that we've seen, and I don't know if Greg uh, has much the last two years. Um, can you recall many times when we would consistently hard hedge teams? No. Um, the last two years under no, Greg? Not yeah, at all. I, yeah, so this is kind of a new look this year, um, and it's it's cool because it's important to be able to, if, if you're giving guys um, consistent looks on offense, you let them get into a rhythm at times. And, you know, in the Big Ten, you've got enough guards that can that can pick you apart. You know, guys grow up running uh, ball screen isos now. You've got guys yeah. that that's all they do in AAU and high school for their whole lives. So if you get them um, – going towards their consistent looks, getting to their spots, you know, guys can light you up for 30 like it's nothing if you give them consistent looks. So to be able to to make some adjustments in-game is kind of important. And when you have a guy named Tyus Jones who, you know, hits two or three of them in a row on you when you're, you know, struggling to score in the second half of a national championship game, maybe you could throw a different look at him one time just to make him think about it. Yeah, I'm not, and, I'm not salty or anything. I swear. No, and and one thing I've always I've always seen that looks that's just always really effective, and and Tony Bennett does it really well with the pack line. Is whenever just you you blitz a pick and roll really hard, randomly, it just it completely throws the offense out of sync. Obviously, you, your ball handler is double teamed, and and he's got to give it up, and it throws the offense out of sync. But it's just it's always good, and I found teams that seem to be very successful. Who just just mix up the looks for anything just to be 
just to just to give a different look and, and mix it up. And if it's if it's effective, it's effective. If not, it's not. But if just mixing it up, and I I've always liked the way you know randomly with Virginia, you know, a they're going to give a really good hard hedge, but here and there they might just really just hard double the ball handler too. Mm-hmm. And it's I a, think it's a nice I'm, look to see. Yeah, I've only watched Virginia a couple times this year, but I think their base look is to hard hedge. I think they do that probably about 75% of the time. Yep. Have yep. you watched them much? Yep. Yeah, um, but they do mix it up, and it depends on the who's handling the ball. If you have a shooter, uh, or if you have a, a non-shooter, excuse me, like just go under the screen and and make him pick a side. But if, if somebody's not going to pull up from 22 feet, like they don't need to hard hedge and extend to him. So it seems to me that it depends a little bit on the situation. It seems that that Virginia's kind of got some stuff built in based on their scouts on on personnel too. Um, and I think it depends on the situation. You got to be able to to throw in different looks. It depends on the spot on the court. You know, there's different rules when it's a, a pocket side screen versus a top of the key ball screen. Um, and to be able to to make adjustments is kind of cool, and it makes me excited. I'm ready to sign Gardo yep. up for a lifetime contract. Yeah, and and they were <laughs> running those little pocket screens to death. And in the first half, they were doing they, it. It was a little closer to the top of the key, but they were running any type of ball screen to get in the middle of defense and it was it was just killing us and then in the second half I think after we we had shown a little bit of of adaptation to that they were running more of like a dribble weave and dribble pitch offense and obviously a lot of those uh little pin downs to herder so I think they it forced them to at least kind of reconsider the way they were they were, the way they were trying to get to their spots all right can we talk about the drama at the end of the game real quick and of course, when I say drama at the end of the Maryland game, I'm talking about the the free throw box out situation with whatever it was, 30 seconds left in the game when Maryland decided that they were uh, going to continually switch who was boxing out where endlessly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I was I couldn't move, tell if we were trying to switch or if because I saw Brad motion that he wanted to switch, and after the after the first free throw that he wanted uh, Nate Nathan to switch, and then. But I didn't know if it was Maryland or what was going on. But it was just the most bizarre thing. So what was going on there was we wanted, we were worried that Nate was going to struggle to box out Fernando. Um, And so what we were trying to do is keep Nate on, I don't remember who their other big was that was down there. But we were trying to keep Ethan on Fernando's side because Fernando's obviously a man child. So we want Ethan on his side. You know, he outweighs Nate by, you know, 50 pounds and probably in his beard and hair alone. <laughs> um, but they, as soon as we would flip sides, they would flip sides. And I don't know if I know the de facto rule on that, but at least growing up, my understanding was the defense always gets to, you know, as an the defense is always on an advantage on a box out. So they get to pick what side they want to be on. If the offense is going to adjust, the defense get to, gets to adjust last. Um, but the refs didn't. The refs came and grabbed uh, the Wisconsin players and held the Wisconsin players in place while the Maryland guys. Yeah, switched. no, you can't do. Yeah, you get to move. <laughs> you get to pick where you are. I thought that that the defenders always get to to be set last. So yeah. I just thought it was a total dick move. Of all the times during the point of the game, you're gonna jostle endlessly for for position. You're I, I don't know. That's yeah, I, I hate Turgeon. Turgeon can can go step on a Lego man. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't stand the guy. I hope he stays in Maryland. I don't have a problem beating them when it counts. So. I, I, 
I kind of want to sign him up for a lifetime contract, just like Tom Crean. Like, let Tom <laughs> Crean coach in the Big Ten forever. I am so okay with that. I, uh, yeah, I don't think that Turgeon is much of an in-game coach. I do, his recruiting sometimes scares me, um, but I'm, I'm sure that that, you know, the Under Armour money well that he's been drawn from for a while is going to dry up here soon, hopefully. So, so we'll see how long he can keep up his, his recruiting tactics. Yeah. Well, it, hopefully the FBI takes care of this soon. Although I was, <laughs> I was reading that, uh, some Maryland fans, and it was in some comment section somewhere, which I waste way too much time reading. The, uh, <laughs> They were saying, well, Diamond Stone took a $14,000 loan after the season was over, so it didn't matter. I'm like, well, no, that's not what happened. And B, like, it's it just it's just like so bizarre how they can just make up these facts, and they're just like, oh, this is so-and-so. It happened after the year. Like, where, where are you making this up? Like, maybe yeah. it could be true. I don't know, but... They're probably Trump voters, too, yeah. man. It's pretty easy just to go whataboutism. <laughs> Anyway, it doesn't matter State? because this one other thing happened. Yeah, so we should probably talk about Michigan State. Oh, it was a bigger huh? game, yeah. <laughs> All right, what were uh, what were your takeaways of the 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 final nail in the coffin for the um, season? It was uh, it was one of those games where I think we went in knowing exactly what we had to do, and I don't think particularly we did a particularly good job of actually doing it. And 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 I'm speaking to the fact that we need to limit them on the boards. And in the prior meeting, or last weekend, Michigan State had 42 or 43% of their, they rebounded 42 or 43% of their misses. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how the magic number is somewhere around 30, right? Yep. And Probably for this team. That's probably yeah, the best we for this for. team. We were hoping for 30. Um, and I think we did a pretty good job in the first half of the second half when the wheels came off. And... They ended at like forty-seven or forty-eight. It was some absurd number. Yeah. Um, and I, but I was surprised to find out that they only ended up with like ten second chance points or something like that. But it was just uh, it was just frustrating. It was it was one of those games where I thought it felt like if we just took care of our business on the boards, we would have ended up winning like five by five to ten points, whatever. Um, but anyway, it was uh, at the time when Ethan Happ picked up a second foul, I was fine taking him out, and I didn't realize Brad was going to pick up number two, and I think Brad still has to learn a little bit when he's not going to get his call, and Ethan's already out. He can't be throwing his body around, and he does. he's just not getting benefit of the doubt on these calls anymore, um, for better or for worse, and it was just, it was, I was a little upset that he tried to try to throw himself in there to get a charge. I understand what he's trying to do but sometimes it's just a little better to stay in position. I was kind of thinking when I was watching that game and thinking about, you know, what we were going to talk about on the pod, I was thinking about like maybe next year we can keep track of a couple obscure stats that we think might be useful for this team and watching I think specifically in the Maryland game in the first half when Brad picked up his second, we did let Ethan sit for a couple minutes too. And I was thinking a really interesting stat to keep for this team this year would have been the plus minus when Ethan and Brad aren't on the floor. Um, I'm not a big plus minus fan for individuals because, you know, basketball players don't operate in a vacuum. Like you're kind of, you know, yeah, you live, live with your teammates and you're die by your teammates too. Um, But I do like lineup plus minuses because I think they kind of uh, tell a lot of tales about how 
you know, certain groups play with one another and play mm-hmm. off of one another. And I know that Bo always kept track of that too, Yeah, is that he would have his most common lineups and he would keep track uh, as the season would go on, what his plus minuses were for those lineups and situationally what plus minuses were for certain lineups. And he would consciously sub that way and try to, to get to, to certain lineups at certain points of the game. Um, so maybe next year, I don't know if it's going to matter as much once uh, Trice is back next year, but Maybe next year we can keep a, a plus minus on the season for when Brad and Ethan are both on the bench at the same time, how the team does. Yeah, and it was, uh, no, I agree with plus minus kind of being a flawed statistic, but with how heavily this team relied on both of those guys, it's when they're on the bench is very telling. Uh, we were, I did put in my notes, we were up four when Ethan grabbed a second, and I think we might have been up one or down one, I think, when Brad got his second. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I was I was thinking to myself, when Ethan got a second, I'm like, if we somehow play this neutral or even minus four or five, it was it'd be a miracle uh, with yep. the way they were they were dominating in the front court, and we it was pretty much minus one until Winston hit that step back three with a hand in his face. So I was fine with that. Everyone was. I remember reading on Twitter, everyone was really mad that Brad Davison and Ethan Hap didn't come in for a last offensive possession, but there was 40 yeah. seconds left on the clock, so they would have been playing defense and with the way that game was called I didn't want them out there I didn't I didn't want them to pick up a cheap one at the end of the half especially the way the day before um Cowan on in the the exact same situation just lowered his shoulder drove right into Ethan or sorry Khalil and and picked up a foul and, and went to the line so I'm just I don't know I didn't like Izzo's not dumb he knows those guys had two fouls I didn't want them back in on defense I'll I'll take my chances with 10 seconds yeah Depends on the situation. Yeah. Um, you hope that, and I, I think we brought Brad back in at the end of the Maryland game at the first half when he had two for that last like minute for an yep. offensive yeah, possession or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think both of those guys are smart enough where you can get away with doing it, but you don't want to leave him in there for a stretch. And you don't necessarily. We got other guys that can that can defend well enough. Revens, you know, defending at a high enough level. We've got Mache who um, can pretty much guard one through five. Like we don't necessarily need to put them in there for defensive possessions. So Yeah, Mache is really know. like the LeBron they call him the LeBron of Madison. It's <laughs> you guard, defensively you can guard one through five. <laughs> I really hope that you pulled that from somewhere in the depths of Buckyville and you didn't just pull that out of your butt. But either way, I enjoy it. I might repeat it at some point in the future. (laughs) Um, Watching Michigan State, uh, I don't know if you said or if I said or if I got it from someplace else, but... You know what? It might have come from Buckyville, and I think I repeated it back to you. I should I should have probably uh, given credit to who posted this on Buckyville. But somebody said that watching us play Michigan State is like watching us play a D-League team that's got much better coaching. <laughs> <laughs> and it absolutely is true. We're at such a, a physical disadvantage that there's only so many things that we can you know schematically do to, to compensate for that. But there's just such a, a size, length, athleticism disadvantage against them that – to watch us play them as close as we did twice in a row and to have so many what ifs have, you know, shots and free throws and things like that, that didn't quite go down when we needed them to. Um, it's, it's tough that we can't pull that upset off, but it's not a team, you know, if we play Michigan state 10 times, we're probably only going to upset them maybe twice or three times at best. So, yeah, well, and it, and it looked like, you know, Gardo kind of acknowledged that in the sense that I thought we ran more set looks against Michigan State 
and and this season in general, but I think in, against Michigan State, I think we ran more set looks than I think I've ever seen us run. And instead of kind of running into running, getting into our swing set, uh, and running more of a motion look, we were we were calling we were calling different sets. And I think out of timeouts, especially, I think we had two or three times out of a timeout where we ended up with a with a wide open layup. And it seemed like he acknowledged that in the sense that we we did what we could just to just to run actions and try to get open looks. Mm-hmm. And he uh yeah, he threw the whole kitchen sink at him. He oh. opened up the playbook and dug in a little bit and well, and the pulled some things whole, out. So. And and maybe you can give me a history lesson here. I don't I don't ever recall us running as much, or I should say, as many horns looks as as we have this season. It seems like almost every other time down the court we give him a little horns look. And against Maryland there was a set and I. And it, it resulted in a missed three, but we just ran a really simple look where we brought Aleem and Ethan up into little horns, and we ran a little ball screen over to Ethan's side. Ethan rolled, and Aleem popped, and it resulted in a wide open three for him. And he missed it, but it was just it was just a beautiful beautiful thing. When um, was the last time you saw Aleem set a ball screen for our under ten second action? Oh. Never. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was thinking about that watching the game too. That that's not a, a look we use often. But when you have Ethan setting a ball screen, or dear God, uh, I, against Maryland we had a look where we had Khalil set, or uh, we had excuse me, Charlie Thomas set a ball screen for <laughs> Khalil at the end of a shot clock, which just has no. Ch- there's literally no chance that that will ever no. have a successful outcome. <laughs> It's just not putting those guys in a situation where they can be successful. Yeah, that's but a, having that's a big Aline, palm, that one was. Having a guy like Keaton, having a guy like Frank, having a guy like Mike Wilkinson, or having a guy like Aleem that can roll to the hoop and give you a target, or pick and pop and try to find some space um, and, and you know pull a, a mismatch on a guard on a switch – or um, try to, to find some space at 18 to 21 feet when the big is helping to try to recover, um, you give yourself a lot of options. And we saw Jordan Taylor run those looks really successfully, you know, game in and game yeah. out, no matter who he was matched up against, with having Keaton, having John, and then having uh, Berge set a lot of screens for him in that, you know, under 10 second on the shot clock action. Um, this team just doesn't quite have the same skill sets to do that as successfully. Brad has has basically just carved that out as his his step back game now, <laughs> um, just in the last month. But having Aleem on the roster and not using him at times, which uh, is a, a situation that I think his skill set you know could be pretty successful in. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe next year that's something that we'll see. But this season, I don't know if we ever used it at all. No, I, I can't recall off the top of my head. And as much as we like to run those looks with Ethan, it just doesn't present a threat, obviously, when he pops. He's a decent role man. Um, but what I really liked was that when we ran it with Aleem kind of floating up there with the horns look, and he popped, you know, that, that's probably the most effective way to use Ethan in a situation like that because... He's going to demand attention as a role man. He can either suck in um, a Leem's guy, or he's going to yeah, yeah, or yeah, and he sets <laughs> he sets a decent screen too. And it, I, I think that's what you got to do with a guy like him is you got to bring bring that extra shooter around there, um, and and make the defense make a decision. So it, it's it's nice that we schemed around it, but I'd rather just personnel around it and. 
and hopefully Aleem can find his, his way or Nate, although I don't know what's going on with Nate's jumper right now. Yeah, he needs to. I don't think he's made. I don't think he's made one in a month. I can't. I can't <laughs> recall uh, him making a three, and it just it just looks messy. He's His legs are getting a little doodly, yeah. man. It's that time of the season. He's hitting that wall a little bit. So, um, little history lesson, I guess, on the horns. Look, um, as far as I know, Bo did not run that a lot in his early years at UW. I'm trying to think if we ever ran it at all with. Mike and Zach Morley and Kirk Penny and Orlando. And I don't know if we really ran that look a lot. Um, I think when we started running it was around uh, Joe Krabinoff to Marcus Landry, Keaton Ankeville and John Luer, So that 2007 kind of going forward time. And we ran it a ton with Keaton and John on the floor at the same time. Just because both of those guys move so well, they both, uh, you know, you have to honor them out to 21, 22 feet. So Bo really ran that look to death, you know, from 2008 till about 2011, those uh, uh, sophomore, junior, senior years for um, Keaton and John. Um, and he did run it sporadically with Vito and Frank and Nigel and Sam. It was a look that we would use uh, maybe a few times a game just to mix things up. It wasn't our our base set. But under Keaton and John, that was our go-to action to get into swing. We would run horns um, as that first action to see if we could get a quick hitter out of it. And if there was nothing there, um, it would position itself so that we were in the swing and we can get a ball reversal and a, a UCLA cut baseline and kind of go from there. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting those those teams in the the mid two thousands those teams with Greg and Butch and then John and Keaton um, there's a lot of things that just kind of philosophically Bo adjusted and changed during those years and then kind of stuck with those same uh, patterns both on offense and defense uh, all the way through the end of his career at UW. And I'm sure that there's some listener somewhere. Um, probably my dad or Keaton, who's I'm sure got some gripes with some of the uh, <laughs> things I just said. Um, but to the best of my recollection, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear more in, on our season review episode. We can, our state of the program episode here um, coming up, we can maybe delve a little bit deeper into some of the history of those actions. But yep. I think it's an action that looks really good when you have a on the floor. A yep. um, is a guy that is kind of cut out of that same mold as Keaton, that you really got to honor him all the way out and close to his jumper. He's got a quick release. He's got good feet and he will, he'll flame uh, in your face if you give him any space that worked well (laughs) so let's talk about the last play um we're we're kind of on the topic (laughs) yeah it was it was kind of a modified modified horns where aleem kind of stayed in kind of like mid post on the lane line so we ran that little ball screen right and and kind of the way i looked at it was that if for some reason they blitzed Ethan could just slip and get uh, get an easy two, and I think we still had twenty seconds when we ran it. And yep. and then when Ethan kind of went and set that little the little uh, pin down for for a lean, um, same thing. If if he found himself free, he could slip and get an easy two. Uh, Michigan State switched everything, and I think it was a nice little look. I think to get into an open three or get an easy two, and if if it was a good screen, even Brad could have pulled if he wanted to. So I, mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't have any gripes with the play call. Michigan State sometimes when you when you start three or four NBA guys, um, they're just going to be able to to physically 
handle those kind of those kind of sets. So I don't know what, what, what was your take? Yeah, I don't necessarily have gripes with the action. I don't think we ran it as crisp as we could no, have. No, I don't. You know, in that situation, who do you want taking the shot right now? If you could pick anybody on this roster to take that shot, who do you want taking it? I would have liked to see. I don't know. I think I think um, either Aleem or Brevin. Obviously, the thing is, I like Brevin more in just as catching, like standstill catch and shoot. Mm-hmm. I think Aleem shows a little bit more coming off screens and shooting. Aleem was hot. I think he was three for three at that point from deep, including yeah. that stupid one from the corner over the backboard. Um, <laughs> I was fine with with how we ran it and who ran it. The problem is. It's tough to it's tough to execute anything when your ball handler really isn't a threat to get to the basket, especially a because he's physically limited, b because um, Tum Tum was just in his in his fucking pocket. So yeah, we had a Tum Tum sighting. Tum Tum hasn't been playing a lot necessarily the last month, but he snuck in there and played a couple good minutes for him. Yep. Anyway, um, I got a quick. Now that we're on this topic, I've got yep. a quick. Uh, fuck Mary kill for you so <laughs> okay. i want to do <laughs> what i want is fuck Mary kill and i don't have three specific examples but fuck Mary kill badger missed buzzer beaters over the years you're gonna you're gonna make me pick three yep out of the hundreds of ones that and, i'm still salty and about you've gotta marry one of them too also, if if we're gonna fuck Mary kill, <laughs> if we're gonna fuck Mary kill a buzzer beater, missed buzzer beater, or uh, sorry, or a missed buzzer beater, can it just be like failed last second plays? Yeah, yeah, that's fine too. Oh God, dude. I, so, is it a good thing if I fuck it or a bad thing? Well, here's I, I don't the way even I know. There's, this is a double negative. If you marry sure. it, you're like, it's gonna pay off eventually. I like the way we ran it. If if you kill it, you're like, that was just stupid. Uh, like, that's never going to work. All right, so you gonna... I, I know the one I'm saltiest about. You ready? Oh, yep. Uh, I, I know what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill then. Um, Bo Ryan calling a timeout. Uh, this is uh, 2006. So this is uh, um, Orlando's senior year. Uh, we're at Ohio State. Brian Butch uh, dislocated his elbow in the first half when he had the the weirdest fall in the middle of the lane of my life and his elbow popped <laughs> out. And I will never be able to unsee that. That will forever haunt my dreams. Him laying there on the ground yelling as his elbow is going like 90 degrees the wrong way. Um, also, big shout outs to uh, Henry and Scott Hettenbach on the bench there for popping it back in right on the spot. Uh, I think uh, uh, Scott, Coach Scott Hettenbach, uh, the strength and conditioning coach, grabbed Butch and held on for dear life so that Butch wouldn't squirm away. And then Henry grabbed his arm and popped it back in. So big shout outs to them real quick. But all right. So reminiscing. Connolly hits a jumper to go up two, I believe, with about six or seven seconds left and we quickly inbound the ball and we have a a sideline break after Conley hits this jumper um and we have jace freshman jason bohannon streaking up the sideline for a wide open three at about 22 feet from the left wing right in front of the badger bench and as jason catches it with uh, five seconds left or something like that. I don't remember exactly what it was. Uh, J-Bo drains the three as Bo is running up the sideline calling a timeout. And, of course, they honored the timeout. 
So we call timeout, we scheme a play, and we get Cam Taylor a little high ball screen pick and roll action going on. And uh, I think Cam like clanks a three, and we lose the Big Ten, and at a chance we lose the, a chance to sweep you know the best Ohio State team in the history of the universe because uh, we beat him at the Kohl Center earlier that year. So yeah, so that's I'm gonna murder that one because uh, I will. I don't know. I'm a big proponent of, especially in those situations and those scramble drills, as we saw the other day. Um, uh, who was it? Uh, Roy William. Who did North Carolina play the other day? They lost on a crazy buzzer beat. Was it Miami? Yeah, it was Miami last week. So uh, North Carolina hit a, a shot with a couple seconds left and then completely forgot to play defense. Um, and Miami hit like a, a 25 footer at the buzzer to win it because everybody in North Carolina's team was celebrating and they forgot that there was a couple <laughs> seconds left on the clock. So I don't know. There's something about that play that I had coaches uh, drill into me growing up that if you get a look, you try to get the ball to half court as quick as you can. And if they're not going to play defense and you got three or four or five seconds, just fucking go and take the shot. Don't call a timeout and try to have to scheme something, give them a chance to get their defense set. If you get a chance to go, you go and then you call a timeout if it's not there right away so i don't know and i i Bo, you know Bo is a control freak so that's that's what Bo does i'm still pretty salty about that one all right so now i have to pick two more that i like yeah <laughs> oh, dude. um oh boy i don't know if i have other ones that i like a lot off the top of my head here i can sub in i can sub in. okay what else you got um i'll say my my Mary would be the Jordan Taylor heave at the end of the Syracuse game. Oh, interesting. Okay. That was a Jordan Taylor shot that I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with that. The way, the way it turned out, it was, yeah. it was a decent look the way the game was going. Um, that seemed like the way it was going to end. I can't remember if that was to tie. I think that was to tie, right? Or is that to take the lead? I can't remember how much. We I were don't remember. By. I think um, we were down three, and okay. it was Syracuse, and we Jordan made a mistake of giving the ball to Rob Wilson because yeah. Rob was yeah, wide that's fucking right. open. And what would we have? We had probably twenty seconds, so it yeah. was a longer action. Rob somehow floated to the right wing, and nobody was guarding him. And Jordan flipped it to him, I think, and Rob gave a hard pump fake and then realized he didn't want to take that shot and he wanted to get it back to Jordan. And then things just got kind of weird from there. Yep. But we had a good look or two and, you know, Jordan has hit, you know, a million of those shots. So that's not a bad one. I got another one for you. Um, I, so wait, was that, you're going to marry that one? I think so. Now I, I completely forgot that Rob Wilson got the ball, but now I remember he got the ball on the right wing. And he, oh, he dude. And didn't want to shoot it. Oh, and I don't know if we were wearing our home our home whites or our away reds, but I hope they were reds because no, he we were shit his pants. Reds. Yeah, we were in the reds, I remember. <laughs> we were in our good because he had a big old shit streak going down <laughs> his pants. He did not want that ball. But the separate is Rob was always a really good jump shooter. I don't know. Rob was probably a 35% three-point shooter and you know had been playing really well in the tournament that year. Had kind of been in Bo's doghouse for a good chunk of that season. Yep. Um, but was kind of undergoing an Andy Van Vliet esque renaissance, if I if I if I dare say, um, and had been shooting really well down the stretch. And I would have you know gladly rode with Rob taking a wide open you know twenty one footer from the right wing. I would have been just fine with that. Yep. All right, I got another one for you. Um, Two thousand fourteen Final Four uh, versus Kentucky. Um, which one of the Harrison brothers hit that shot? I don't. It doesn't even matter. Fuck Andrew. them both. 
Yeah, shit. I think. Fuck them both. I don't shit. I don't even want to know their names anymore. But hit that circus shot. Um, earlier that season, we caught Michigan State at home, and Michigan State hit a late shot against us, and we went quick sideline break, and uh, Trayvon Jackson hit that kind of little runner from the off the. I think he went off the glass yep. from the left wing. I think he to win it. went off the glass. And it doesn't matter. You know, the bank is open late on a Sunday night, man. It doesn't even matter. Bank is always open at the Kohl Center. Um, and we almost had that same identical look that year against Kentucky. Um, I think Kentucky was down two when Harrison hit that shot. Um, so they were up one. And I don't think, did we call a timeout or did we just go quick sideline break and did Bo just let it ride? No, we called a timeout. Did we? But we ended up getting a pretty good look, um, and it was almost that same spot. And literally, as Trey is is pulling up, I'm having flashbacks to the Michigan State game, yep, which I was, was like one of the last. That. He just yeah. hit that. He just hit that same yeah. shot. It's lit- I'm thinking like, holy shit, it's literally going to be a replay of the Michigan State game. And it just caught like just enough rim. It was the same kind of angle, and he put the same touch on it. Um, but Trayvon Jackson isn't exactly known for the touch on his jumper, so <laughs> it probably was more lucky that the one went in against Michigan State than you know he missed the one against Kentucky. That wasn't exactly his shot, but we got the same look, and it ended up with whatever it was, three seconds left. It ended up being a pretty goddamn good look for that situation to get a, you know, a 15 or 7. 17 footer from the left wing that was fairly wide open um so i'll i'll ride with that one too and you take that 10 times out of 10 in that situation you get a 15 footer to win it in the final four like you just hope that your guy can hit it so yeah and 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 yeah he had he it was weird because i thought trey going to his right was always he always had a Decent, uh, decent shot from there. And I, off the top of my head, he hit a big one against Minnesota. I think the year prior, mm-hmm. yep. he hit that one to, against Florida to ice it all going to his right. And then, but he hit that one going to his left against Michigan State that season to win it. And then that, that actually, I was thinking about that shot because you're talking about North Carolina not playing defense. That was exactly <laughs> what happened after that trade shot. Of. Is that everyone just yeah. stood there and was like celebrating? And then he had essentially the same look to beat Kentucky. Anyway, honorable mention for that, I would say, okay. was uh, <laughs> that Ryan Evans three against Michigan State. What was it, 2012? It was right after we'd lost in the Rose Bowl, too. And uh. that was when the shot clock wasn't synced up with – well, it was the two clocks weren't synced up or something. Yeah. Yep, and yep. and he hit that, like, reverse three. And, <laughs> and then they reviewed it, and it was – and it was still in his hand when whichever clock they decided to use was still uh, was at zeros. But Dude, that one just I, and sticks I hate in my that mind. They just yeah. picked one clock, and it like didn't make any sense which clock they decided to go with. It was literally like the 2000 election when the Supreme Court decided that Bush was going to be president <laughs> just because they wanted to. Like fuck that. Like there should be a rule on what you side with in that situation. You just get to make it up as you go. God. Not salty about it or anything. It's fine. <laughs> anyway. So, hey, I got a fuck, Mary kill for you, man. Yep. I don't know. It, it's, that was a hard fuck, Mary kill to follow. I know. That I, was, like, <laughs> fringe I enough. I that. that one. And we didn't talk about it before the show either, so I didn't even give you a warning. I was just... Just got right into it. Anyway, go ahead. I think I think our policy on fuck Mary kills is that we can never discuss them in advance. We literally, no. it's, it's more it's fun the if they're just impromptu. The yeah. yeah, new rule. All right, cool. Um, rules for the pod. We should maybe start a blog on pod rules. That could be rule number one. <laughs> uh, fuck Mary kill. Yours is quicker and easier, so we can because I think we've been rambling for too long yep. here. So we should we should wrap this thing up. <laughs> fuck Mary kill. 
you get to choose a Big Ten regular season championship, a Big Ten tournament championship, or Final Four appearance. Fuck, Mary kill. Um, I'm going to marry the Final Four appearance. Nice. Um, I'm going to kill the Big Ten tournament championship, yeah. mainly because Michigan has had, the last two seasons has had, like, a fairly, just slightly above average Big Ten team throughout the regular season and ends up maybe winning again, winning it second yeah. in a row. Um, so it can't mean I that much. I think they're going to win it again tomorrow, Yeah, it too. can't mean that much. Um, yeah. <laughs> so what did I say? I'm going to kill that one, and I'm going to marry Ray Eric. Fuck the regular season championship. I always think I'm always I'm more of a regular season championship than a postseason. Or that was kind of an easy one. Yeah. yeah, that Definitely. was easy. Oh. Yeah, regular season. Do you know why? There's one reason why you could fuck or marry the regular season championship. Because 90% of the time it means you get to rush your court. At yep. some point you get to celebrate on the Coal Center floor and listen to Earth, Wind, and Fire and you know dance with Nigel Hayes on his, <laughs> his live Instagram feed. So you can never, you can never hate on that. Yeah, I, yeah, I like the tournament championship. I prefer the regular season championship. I like the having to go with the ebbs and flow of the season. You know, a team can get hot and win the tournament championship like Michigan does. It doesn't mean that much to me. Um, you know, show me your body work over three, three months. That's what I want to see. Well, actually, what was it? Four months, early December to late February. Ah, That's three months. Jesus, dude, what a weird thing. I hate that right now I've got the TV on, um, and Penn state, uh, just lost to Purdue and they're showing highlights from other games. They're they're showing uh, Virginia, Notre Dame, and a couple other games. And I, I'm thinking like, oh, that sucks. That team, you know, got knocked out early from uh, the ACC tournament. Yeah, and then was like, no, oh, they're playing. No. Yeah, the Big Ten. Literally, the Badgers season is done, and everybody else is still playing regular season well, games right now. I remember earlier in the year, if if we had not gotten the Wednesday bye, we would have played our potentially last game in February. We wouldn't even have played in March. It doesn't mean that much, <laughs> but it was, uh, I remember Zach Heilprin was talking about it on his podcast, and it was a possibility that we wouldn't even play a game in March. I'm glad that didn't end up happening. Not that I'm going to remember that five years from now, but in the moment it just felt a little better. I think that uh, theme of the episode, maybe uh, maybe episode title name, uh, um, Mark Turgeon can go jump in an icy cold lake, and Jim Delaney can step on a Lego. <laughs> I think that's that's what I, we're going to summarize this episode as. I like that. How's that sound? We got yeah. it. All right, sweet. I got one Sham laugh out of you today. One Sham <laughs> giggle. That's my goal for every episode is just to get you to giggle at least once. I giggled at the Cole Center lawn joke. <laughs> I don't think many people will, but... I hope we have at least one listener somewhere who will get that. So I'll, I'll try to I'll send this episode to to Ian Markoff. We'll see if we can get him to laugh at it. Maybe he'll get it. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, we've officially snuck an Ian Markoff reference in. Uh, we've tr- maybe or maybe not threatened to murder Maryland's head coach <laughs> and the Big Ten commissioner. Um, and we may or may not still have the Motion W show up on some of our podcasts. So yeah. maybe just to avoid any future legal matters, we should probably call this one a show. Yep, let's get out of here. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, and Mom, and if anybody else actually listens, thanks. I don't know if that should be plural or singular yet. I think it might be plural at this point. Uh, this is the Wisconsin Way podcast. Uh, you guys check us out on Twitter. Uh, we are at the Wisconsin Way. Um, thank you guys so much, and uh, we'll be back in a week or two here with a little season wrap-up State of the Program episode.